0: Never once do we ever walk alone, carried by your constant. All right, grace. I'd like to invite you to come back to your seats. We're gonna get started. Sorry to break up, good conversation. Hate to do that, but uh, pick back up where we left off after, after we're finished. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Welcome to Providence Road. We're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing on in our series, walking through the book of... Oh, i really got Brian all of a sudden. Uh, walking, know, you're good. Uh, walking through um, the third chapter of the book of Colossians, specifically the first part of this chapter. So if you want to follow along, the verses will be on the screens, but if you want to follow along, go to Colossians 3. And we are going to start today in verse 12 reading, but the the primary verse we're going to look at is verse 16. But we're going to start in verse 12 (coughs) to give some context to this. Paul says, chapter 3, verse 12 through 16, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and... If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Here's verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us, to the world, to humanity, through your word. And we're so thankful for that. We're so grateful to you for that. This morning, as we dig into your word and talk about actually... Uh, your word in this passage. I pray that you would uh, help us understand at a deeper level, help us love you at a deeper level, and as we leave here, help us live and and walk with you at a deeper level. When we leave this place, Father, we love you, and it's for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Okay, so Paul is writing this letter to the to the to the. The church at Colossae, large city in modern-day Turkey. And this city was a, was a large city, so there were a lot of influences, a lot of things surrounding this young church, which was primarily made up of younger believers. And Paul writes in chapter 2 of this letter that he's encouraged by their faith. He, he says their faith is strong, but you can almost tell from his writing and even from looking at some background of this church and, and other um, resources that Paul was a little worried for these people. He was worried for this church. He was concerned that they may be getting too influenced by the culture, culture around them. There were other belief systems around. There was a kind of a, um, a spirituality from the East that was affecting the church. And there was also this uh, legalistic Jewish thing that was still left over um, in this church that they were fighting against. And, and, and then just being in a city, there were all the things that come along with just kind of pagan hedonism that were going on in this city at the time. So he's writing to this church trying to make sure that they keep their eyes focused on Jesus and they don't forget their first love and they continue to grow in their faith. In the first two chapters, Paul exclusively just talks about Jesus. talks about who he is, what he has done, the fact that he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He wants um, the, the, the church to remember and just cherish who Jesus is. Then in chapters 3 and 4, Paul moves on to, to actually, which is Paul's, uh, the way Paul writes typically, at, the, at the, the second half of the book, he talks about how who Jesus is and what he did for us actually applies to life and as we live life on a daily basis. And really he's talking about, at least in this chapter, he's writing to, to the church, to a group of people. So Paul was writing to Providence Road, I, I hope he would say the same thing about our faith. I hope he would say, hey, Providence Road, Uh, I I like where you're at with your faith. You have a firm faith, and that is a good thing. But I wonder if he would also caution us about the things that we can add to Jesus in our lives and in this church. And I think asking, one way to to get at this and really figure out, would Paul say these things, is asking some questions that I think all human beings ask. For example, what kind of person do I want to be? What do I want from my life? What are my dreams? What kind of legacy do I want to leave this earth with? What do I want people to say about me when I die? And these are all questions that uh, human beings think about, either consciously or even subconsciously. These questions, what they do, they, they get at um, who, who's, who's foundational in our lives. And as followers of Jesus, those who believe in him, these questions have been answered for us. This is the point Paul is trying to make and wants us to understand. As we get into this text, one thing to remember, once again, he is talking to a group of people that happen to be made up of individuals. So we need to see and read this through the eyes of a group of people, not as individuals primarily. Primarily as a group that happens to be made up of individuals. And I think that's an important nuance to think about when Paul is writing. Let's look at verse 16. We're going to walk through this really slow. This is, our, this is our primary text. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but we're going to come back to here um, throughout the morning. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In some translations, instead of um, dwell in you, it says dwell among you. So it's clear Paul's trying to say it's not necessarily dwelling in, in us as individuals, which it, it includes that, but it's how is the word of Christ dwelling in us as a, as a body, as a group of people. So let's go kind of word by word here. This idea of let. Uh, there's an assumption here that the Bible is already being preached and taught. It's almost a sense that like it's this idea of, of, of the Bible's kind of standing at a door, and all we need to do is let open that door and let the Bible do what the Bible wants to do, to dwell inside of us. So that's kind of that idea of let. We are um, so asking us to do something, <coughs> but it's very passive in, in that, sense. So don't stop the word from dwelling in us is another way to say that. So how does this work itself out of Providence Road, right? So we, we focus on the scripture and preach the word on Sunday mornings. We want missional communities and fight clubs to be centered on, on the word, the gospel, okay? Because this is the primary way the triune God, Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit speak to us. So we want to focus on the word of God. So this is how, if, if Paul's assuming this in the church at Colossae, hey, the word's going to be preached, the word's going to be taught, you're going to hear it, now let it dwell in you richly. This is where we want to be as a church. Now let's continue one, let the word of Christ. Now earlier in the letter, Paul refers to, um, calls it the word of truth, and then he says the gospel. So in this letter in particular, Paul kind of equates the word of truth or the word of Christ with the gospel. So When when you hear Word of Christ this morning, I think you can think two things, and I think that's okay. One, it's actually the Bible. It's the words that Christ taught, the words that Christ spoke. But I think it's also more specifically talking about the gospel. I think it's safe to assume both, because the gospel is the primary message of the Scriptures. It's the apex, it's the crescendo of the biblical storyline is the gospel. So when you hear... um, word of Christ, think Bible, but also think gospel. Because Jesus rises from the dead. He ascends back to the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit to to dwell inside of those who believe and follow him. And so we have the Holy Spirit living in us as followers of Jesus. And the Bible is also inspired by the same Spirit. This is a very spiritual thing because you have the same Spirit that takes the Bible and allows us as followers of Jesus who have the Holy Spirit to actually understand it to actually allow it to do its work inside of us and help us grow. This is a very kind of deep spiritual thing, as the Spirit is testifying, the Spirit inside of us is testifying with the Spirit that actually um, authored the Word. So the Spirit living in me, living in you, living amongst us at Providence Road, helps us understand and allows the Word to dwell inside of us. So let's look on this, this idea of dwell richly. So let the Word of Christ dwell Richly. Dwell simply means make one's home in. And Paul is saying the Bible, more specifically the gospel, should dwell richly. Dwell abundantly inside of us. Now here's the deal. This is my worry in in, in talking about this text. I, I, I say that, and those of you who have grown up in church or spent any time in church have probably heard this verse. fairly common verse, maybe you've memorized it. But oftentimes we hear this verse like, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I know the word's important. I know the Bible's important. I know that I need to spend time reading it. I know that I should memorize it as much as I can. I know I should read books about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the language here of dwell richly should get our attention. Because Paul could have said, hey, read the Bible amongst yourself. Hey, study the Bible amongst yourself. But he didn't say those. He says, let the word of Christ dwell abundantly, dwell richly Amongst you. Yes, it includes study. Yes, it includes <laughs> reading. But it's so much more than that. He wants the word of Christ to control us, to influence us, to shape us, to, to form us. This is the kind of people he wants the church to become. As individuals, but also as a church. Listen to what a couple of passages say about the, what the person looks like who's shaped by the word. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2, listen to this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, or the scriptures. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So this person is delighting and meditating in the word of God. In verse 3, this, this person is like a tree planted by streams of water. "...that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers," the Scriptures say. This is the, describing the kind of person who is delighting in the law. Is meditating on the law. And then Jeremiah 17, 7-8 kind of echoes this, but goes a little bit further. Jeremiah 17, 7-8 says, "...blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord." Verse 8, "...he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green." It is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So he uses the tree analogy, Jeremiah does, but he also goes a step further and says, here's why it's important that this tree is planted by streams of water, because heat from the sun, the scorching sun, is going to come. Circumstances are going to come, and this tree is, is confident, this man is confident, that when those things come, the roots are deep enough, he's planted by a water source, so more times than not, he's going to be able to withstand the drought withstand the heat of life's circumstances. So one way to tell if you're the kind of person that the the scriptures and the word of Christ is dwelling deeply or richly in is how do you handle crisis? How do you handle difficult times? What do you run to when things are hard, when you're struggling? Do you run to something else? Or do you trust that you're like a tree planted by these streams of water? And this water, which is in this metaphor is, is the word, is the spirit, is the gospel, is, is the water, the nutrients that allow us to bear fruit as trees. This tree metaphor, I think, is really important as we think about what does it look like for the word to dwell inside of us. Um, another helpful idea that I thought, this really, this, is, this, this idea of dwell, this verb really can mean to make your home in, to, 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 uh, to reside in. So any of you who have, <coughs> have your own dorm room, own apartment, own house, when you move in, you make that space your own. Most of you do. Um, you make it your own. Some, some now, Sometimes that looks really good. Sometimes that looks really bad. You don't want people to come over, right? But we all move in, and we, we make that place our own. We, we have our own furniture. We have our own stuff. We have our own decorations on the wall. We do those things. And when people come into that, after you've gotten settled, after people come in, they see you when they look around. Like the, everything communicates your taste, what you want, the feel that you want your home to have. It puts off what, what you're like. So you being in that house or an apartment or dorm room, you dwelling there actually influences everything else about that house. And this is, I think, the idea that Paul is trying to get at when he's talking about the word of Christ dwelling inside of us. It influences everything, every part of us. He's not saying, hey, the word of Christ uh, let the Word of Christ come in and, and have a cup of coffee in your life. Or hey, let the, let the Word of Christ come in every once in a while, maybe for a couple of nights, hang out, and then let the Word of Christ leave. And, or, 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 or let the Word of Christ stay for a little bit, maybe in a season, but then you're going to move on from, to something else to dwell inside of you. No. This would be like, I'm sure most of you have used Airbnb, and so... Um, we've used Airbnb quite a bit, but I remember the first few times when we used Airbnb like five, six, seven years ago, it was really creepy. Like we were walking into this person's house who we did not know, sleeping in their bed, using their stuff, sitting on their furniture, and, I didn't, and we didn't know them. It just felt really eerie those first few times. We're over it now because we've done it so much, but it just felt weird because none of this stuff is ours. Like this has no... Um, remnants of us being there when we leave nobody will know we have lived there so we're we're abiding there we're living there for maybe a couple of days or nights and then we're gone because it's the person who owns it that's that's the aesthetics that's the decor that it's going to have is those people and then you always have that that one door that's locked and it's really creepy you're like what's inside that door or is this the door they come out at night and like look at you while you're sleeping like what's behind this door I really want to know, that. every Airbnb, those of you who have Airbnbs, you host, I'm sure you have a door too, because there's probably stuff you want to keep locked up. But as a person who just goes into Airbnb, there's always a door. And so I'm just like, what is behind the door? But the, the point there is that that, that that Airbnb doesn't resemble you. And so the Word of Christ, Paul's not saying, hey, let the Word of Christ come in and stay a couple of nights, because it's going to have no, it's going to have no effect. It's not going to be influence you. And he's also not saying, um, let other things come in your house. To, to, in a sense, squat in your house, okay? Like, like, when you have a house, when you have a home, you're not, you're not going to let a stranger come off the street and say, okay, we're going to co-sign on this mortgage now. Like, if I die, you have this, you have access to everything in this house now um, because you own it like I do. No, um, you know, that's, that's someone who's squatting on your house. And so it's your house, so you're aware of what is dwelling inside of it. You, primarily. And so Paul is saying, I think here, he's also wanting us to be careful and to be aware of what else is trying to dwell in your life, in your mind, in your heart. Is it the word of Christ? Or is it something else squatting in your house trying to take up residence, okay? So Paul's making a big deal here, right? You see about the word of Christ. I mean, he, he's making a big deal about it. So why? Well, let's look at a few other scriptures to talk about what the Bible actually does. So Romans 1, Verse 16, speaking of the gospel here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. There's, there's not much stronger words that can be used of something. It's the power of God for salvation. That's why he wants it to dwell richly in us, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, listen to what scripture is, is used for. Scripture is breathed out by God. That's the inspiration. It's inspired by the Spirit and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Why, is it, why does the Word do that? So that, verse 17, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Word is to dwell in us so that it can do these things, so that we can be equipped and prepared and trained to live the life that God has called us to live. Then we have Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. It's big, living and active. Sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is deep. Like it's the word gets deep into, into our joints and into our marrow. It's deep here when it abides in us. And it's alive and active. If, you're, if you live in your house, if you <laughs> dwell somewhere, you move around, you live, you're active. It's the same way with the word. The word doesn't come into our lives, and it's just static. It's alive, and it moves, and it wants to change you. If somebody passes away in a house, you usually move them out of the house. right? Like That's creepy that a person who is deceased to stay in a house. People who live in houses are alive. Same way with the word. The word is alive, Hebrews 4.12 tells us. Now, let's move on in this passage. And I want us to see how what we're about to say is connected to the word, okay? So what this we're about to talk about, it should lead to these things and it's caused by these things. Listen to this. So after the word dwells in us, it says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Back to Colossians 3.16. Teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, okay? So collectively, as a church, we're to teach and admonish. Admonish just means to, to correct to warn, to exhort, okay? Then it all, and then it says at the end, with wisdom. We can't miss this, because some of you really like to admonish. Maybe you have the spiritual gift of admonishment, which it's okay. Like that's, we we want to do that, but it should be done with wisdom. It means gentleness, empathy, knowing the person, knowing the context, having an idea of how that conversation is going to go. This is how we teach and admonish. And this means that we are to pastor and shepherd and lead one another. Do we teach and admonish from up here on Sunday mornings? Absolutely. But this text doesn't say the pastors and teachers among you admonish and teach you. It says you teach and admonish one another. This means that all of us have the responsibility to teach and admonish one another. And as a church leadership, we work hard to create environments where that can happen. We want that to happen in mission community. We want that to happen in Fight Club. We want that to happen as you spend time with each other throughout the week. That's part of being a family, being the body, is to teach and admonish in all wisdom. Then in, the next thing that Paul's going to say here, another way to, to teach and admonish and let the world do, word dwell richly, is to sing singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Again, in Colossians 6.13. Paul also has the same almost exact teaching in Ephesians 5, verse 19. So I want to read that verse as well to put these together, um, because he gets a little bit more descriptive. Verse 19, Ephesians 5, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So we are to sing songs to one another, okay? But what does that mean? Like, like, what does that look like? It really means is that when we're together and we're singing and we're corporately worshiping God, we should think about as we are also singing to each other. We're singing to God, but so others can also hear us. We're all singing together and we all hear each other. And we try to do this as well, as, as best as we can on Sunday mornings. We try not to have the music too loud. Is the reason why not to have the music too loud, because we want you to hear your voice and we want you to hear the voice of those around you. Why? Because of passages like this. This is telling us that we, we get encouragement we get filling. We get, we, the word of Christ dwells in us deeper if we hear one another singing. Because we're singing to each other. We're singing around each other. And notice it doesn't say, hey, sing well. Hey, sing well to each other. It doesn't say, hey, only those who have good voices sing. It just says sing. So what's the application for us here? It's, it's sing. Like if you're in this room... You should be singing when the band is up here leading. The band's not up here to perform. The band's not up here to sound awesome or sound cool. They may have both those things, but that's not why they're up here. They're up here to get you all into the presence of God, to feel that, and to lead, to lead out and getting you all to sing. So we're all together corporately singing to God where each other can hear. I, I, I'm a terrible singer. I'm not a good singer. And I don't like to hear myself sing in particular. But there, there's something about hearing other people sing. When I'm doubting or I'm just not feeling well, or I just I just need encouragement. When I hear other people singing, it doesn't matter how good they are either. But I can tell they're just singing to God, and when I hear them singing to God, there's something that, that inside of me that happens. that says, "Yeah, okay, okay. I, yeah, I'm gonna sing, and this is it's it's gonna be okay. I'm gonna be encouraged by this. So that so here's the deal. If you Hate your voice. You don't think you're a good singer and you, you know you're a bad singer. I, I There's always room down here in the front row with me, okay? Come down with me. We'll sing loud and you'll be comparing yourself to a bunch of other people who can't sing. We'll just sing really loud and encourage one another. We'll let this be the bad, the bad singing section down here. And I'll be the choir director, okay? So, but sing. Like sing and like just, just in, in enjoy and not be so worried about you because Paul is clear here. We're to sing and it doesn't mean Um, The the people upstage, we'll let them be the good singers. Everyone else, it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, Lastly, he says, Paul says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is connecting this back with the verse we Blake preached on last week, this idea of being thankful. And he's just saying, all the while, we're still being thankful. Thankfulness is that undercurrent thing that is guiding all of this. And you notice there's a rhythm to this. Okay, God reveals himself, and then we respond. When the church gathers, the word is preached. Um, God has revealed himself through his word, and then we respond. We set up the the church, the service to happen that way, the liturgy. I stand up here and preach. What do we do right after the sermon's over? We respond in communion. That's intentional because the word is speaking now, and when the word speaks, when God speaks, we should respond to that. So when we're looking at the screen, at these words, when we're singing, we're reading truth. God is speaking to us, and we're immediately responding back to God with, with words, with praise, with worship. And that's really the Christian life. Right? Like we, we exhale in God's grace, His mercy, and we exhale out obedience and living life and to honor God and, and glorify Him. We're saved by grace and mercy. Apart from nothing we did, it was purely the work of God in us, so He responds to us in saving us. And then Ephesians 2.10 says "Then He prepares for us ahead of time good works. Now we walk in good works. That's our response to his grace. It's always God responds, or God reveals, and then we respond. It's not us trying to do a bunch of stuff and not hearing from God. God reveals, and then we respond. This is foundational to the Christian life. If you're not picking up on this, this is like Christianity 101. If we define Christianity as believing in the gospel, the word of Christ has to dwell in us richly. If we define Christianity as following Jesus, then the word of Christ's us richly provi- shows us the way. If you define the Christian life as the Holy, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the way you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit is through his word and the gospel. So the question, I think, becomes for us is what is taking up residence in your heart, in your life? This deep, deep down place, this, at the joints and the marrow deep down, um, what is taking up residence? What do you think about most often? What do you dream about? What are your desires? What are your fears? What if you thought about it? If, if you said, if I lose this, then I don't know if life would be worth living anymore. Whatever that is, that's what's dwelling. That's what's taking up residence in you. Like that, in an old, old baseball analogy, that, that, that thing is in your head. It's, 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 it's messing around in your kitchen, right? Like, Whatever is causing you to feel like that, it's inside of you. It's controlling you. And we want the word of Christ to dwell in us there and not anything else. So we need to ask ourselves this question. So we see that Paul, this is very important to Paul, right? The word is very important. The word word dwelling inside of us is Paul, and it should be central. But here in a few minutes, we're all going to leave. We're all going to leave here. And so what is going to motivate us this week to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly? Monday morning, Wednesday afternoon, Friday night, what is going to cause us to be motivated and desire to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly? Another way to define Christianity is having a relationship with the triune God, having a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God primarily communicates to us in this relationship through his word and prayer. Now he can communicate to us through the Holy Spirit outside of that, but when he communicates to us outside of the word that whatever he says to us will not contradict the word and it will affirm the word. Okay? But primarily God speaks to us through his word through his prayer. So we can't, if we don't allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly we can't experience God the way we should experience him as a follower of Jesus. Back in verse 12 Paul says as chosen ones. Okay? As chosen ones. So this isn't as chosen ones, were to experience him and, 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 and crave that relational time with him. Why? Because chosen ones doesn't mean that, hey, God was just begging and picking, uh, hoping that we would pick him for salvation. It says, no, God loved us so much that he chose us. Holy, it says, chosen ones, holy. It says that means set apart for the purpose of God. It doesn't mean set apart to just live like a ho-hum life and kind of do whatever in life. No, we're set apart as followers of Jesus for a purpose. He's got a purpose for all of us. And then beloved, chosen, holy, beloved. We're loved. Not because we're lovable, but because Jesus was lovable. Not because we're awesome now once once we're followers of Jesus. No, because Jesus is still awesome now, and we desperately need help. And this is the kind of God, unconditional, loving God, this is the person who's offering to, to, to spend time with us in relationship to us. This is the motivation behind why we should want to spend time in the Word. Allow the Word to dwell in us because it is relational. We get to spend time with Him. Um, I'm married to Nicole, and it, it would be, if, if, we, um, if we didn't live in the same house, and we say we lived in the same, didn't even live in the same city, we never talked to one another, but yet we're married, and you were spending any time around us, and you, and you saw that, you would say, this is the most unhealthy, like weird, dysfunctional marriage you've ever seen. Right? Like, yeah, Mary, they got the ring. We, I talk, talk about marriage a lot, but I don't really know, Nicole, what she's been doing. I'm, I don't even live in the same city as her. Like, that would be so strange. But oftentimes we treat our relationship with God, I think, the same way. Like, he's always there, and we can always go to him if we want it, but he desires through his spirit to have an intimate relationship, a day-by-day fulfilling relationship. This should be the motivation for why we do things. sorry about that. Um, Listen to this quote from the book, Union with Christ. He, He says it succinctly here more than I could. The reader of the Bible comes to the text not as a stranger to Christ, who is the central subject of all Scripture, but as one who is actually connected to Christ by the Holy Spirit, as one who is really in the real presence of the risen lord. Sorry. Here. Sorry. In the prayerful reading of scripture, meditating on scripture can and should be a real-time experience communion with the living Christ from the book this is from the book union with Christ. Um, so, okay, this is this is this is the motivation. This is the why. We know why the, we know what the Bible does and what, God, what Paul is calling us to do through his word. And now this is why we should do it. This is the motivation, okay? So how does this look? What does this look like? Um, I think the best passage for this that gives us a lot of answers to this is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Maybe a weird passage to go to for this, but this is one of the most popular and important passages for an Orthodox Jew. And the first two verses uh, really talk about theology, what they're called to do. And then the the verses following will talk about how they do these things. This is insightful for us. Uh, Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That should sound familiar to you. Jesus quotes that um, in the Gospels. Listen to verse 6. This is how we go about doing this, allowing the word to dwell in us, which is, I think, what what Deuteronomy is getting at here. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise. He's basically saying there should, be, there should be this drip of God's word, the drip throughout the day to be able to continue to think about and set our minds on and allow the law, the word to dwell in us. So throughout the day, it's not all you talk about, but throughout the day. He's got little of these points throughout the day of when they should hear and read and think about it. Um, verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You know, Orthodox Jews, they, sometimes they wrap these things around their hand, and there's this little thing on their hand all, all day. How often do we look at our hands throughout that? That's why we put a watch near our hands, right, so we can just look down and see it. So they put this thing on their hands so they'll be reminded all day long to look at it, to think about God. It also says that they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. They also have things that, in their line of view, they see th- these little boxes and that's to remind them, even when they're when they're singing and they're walking, they're remembering God's law. And it says in verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So when you leave the house, you see them twice, like through the doorway and then on the gates. And then when you come back, you go through the gates and then you go into your house. You see them another. So what God is saying here, the way you allow my law, which in the Old Testament was the way that they experienced a new God. And the way you aren't influenced by all the other stuff around you is to allow the law to dwell in you. And this is how you do it. So a couple of quick applications and I'll be done, practical for us. Um, corporately, let's go there first. We, we intentionally set Sunday mornings up to try to create an environment where the word of Christ can dwell in you richly. We want it to be centered on the word of Christ and the gospel. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that we talk about Jesus and the gospel a lot and we try to teach sermons directly from the Bible. We try not to do anything else that's going to get in the way of those two things. And we're very, very careful and intentional about that. Why? Because of everything we've talked about today. I think this is foundational, and we need to create an environment corporately where the word of Christ and the gospel will move in our hearts. And not something clever that I've said, not some way that the musicians performed, not anything else that the word of Christ and the gospel would do the work that it wants to do. And and we, we try to do that in missional communities as well. We want missional communities to be centered on the Word and the Gospel. Doesn't mean that they're going to read the Bible every time they're together. But if you were to ask, what's the thing that these missional communities are centered on, we want it to be Jesus. We want it to be the Bible. Okay, so the application for here is is go. Like go to a missional community and be a part of that. And allow the word of Christ to dwell in you through missional community. Another application is come here consistently, often, every week if possible. Because we're setting this up to where the word of Christ can dwell and when you come participate like don't hopefully you have seen today that this is very participatory for everyone in the room this isn't the stage or the actors and then everybody sitting there is passive like this is active this is all this stuff is one another one another one another we want you to be participatory and you're thinking and you're reflecting and you're singing and all those things that's corporately individually because i think paul does want us to think individually about this number 1 be intentional about your time in the word okay if anything today um, spending time daily, ideally, if possible, in God's Word is a good thing. Like, I think that's the first step to allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in His church. Now, I think it's, it's more than that. I think there's some meditation and some things we talked about a few weeks ago, just setting our minds on the... And we can, we can help you all with that. Number two, um, dwelling on the gospel. Um, you can't think about the gospel enough. You can't preach it to you, understand it, know it. Like the character of God and who he is, and who we were, and God's mercy and grace found in the person and work of Jesus to save us when we were rebellious and could care nothing about him, and that the righteousness that we now have is 100% Jesus's. It's not like a gas tank where it goes up and down, and we're trying to keep up the righteousness. No, it's all of Jesus's unchanging righteousness, and that should just allow that truth to wash over us. And because of that, we're united to Christ, which is what this whole series is about, United to Christ. And all of that is gospel language. That's the gospel. Just over and over thinking about it and dwelling on it. Because that changes you. changes your affections. It changes your joy. It makes you set your sights on Jesus and not yourself. in so th- those two things I've mentioned, if you need help with those things, um, let us know. Because if you're motivated to read the Bible more and know the gospel more, like there are plenty of resources out there we can get in your hands to help you do that. The hardest part is actually wanting to do those two things. If you wanna do them, you've, you're, you're over the hard part, okay? Now, now it becomes a little bit easier. Ask me after this, ask your missional community leader, we'll help you figure that out. Last is just be aware of what other things influence and capture your attention. I think we're just sometimes not aware and we just get busy and frantic and our minds and our hearts and our desires and our affections, all those things just get full. We just get overwhelmed with just stuff of life and I think we just have to step back and say, what is the thing filling me right now? What's taking up residence in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit right now? And if it's not the word of God, this is, time, this is when we would call, you, you do repentance. Like you say, God, I, like help me. Like I don't want, I don't want to dwell on this things. I want to dwell on these things, but I can't help me. I know this is the better thing to dwell on. Help me do that and start to move this stuff out and bring the gospel and the word of Christ in. But I think to even go there, you have to be aware of what's going on inside of you. Like what's, what's shaping you? What's forming you? What's causing you to feel and act and behave the way you do? Because it all is controlled by what's inside of you. Hopefully today you see that. It's everything we do, everything we are, it's controlled by what is going on inside of us. Here's the deal. I want to close with this and, and then we'll pray. This is hard. I realize that. Like this, like to let the word of Christ dwell in the church, this is hard. And this is a, a big challenge. I want to end with the gospel. An element of the gospel is the fact that Jesus is alive. He's alive right now, and through his spirit we experience And If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit wants to, inside of you wants to, wants to communicate with the spirit that inspired the word and cause you to grow, cause you to, to mature in your faith. He wants to do that. Kind of that door analogy. He is waiting to spend time with you. He's he's waiting outside the door, and we just need to let him in. So I'm going to pray now. My prayer is going to be that the Holy Spirit would help us actually open the door and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Okay, So we're going to close with that prayer, asking for help, because we all need it. Heavenly Father, please help us. The command of let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, it seems so simple and straightforward. But all of us in this room know the challenge that it is to allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us spiritually. How difficult that is. How distracted we are, especially in our day and age. How many other things are vying and fighting for our attention and affection. All of those things. So help us. We want now to be the kind of people who want to spend time with you and want the word of Christ and the gospel to dwell in us. We we want to be those kinds of people, but so... Often, we're not. And we need help. So help us, because we know your spirit wants, um, wants to dwell deep, deep down inside of us. And as we're, we move into a time of communion, I pray that even in this, these next five to ten minutes, we take communion together as a church, that you would do something inside of us. You would cause what was said today, either in the song or either in the sermon, to go deeper as a result of just taking some time to reflect and meditate on who you are and what you've done. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. One of the things that Jesus did clearly, this was obvious, He one of the reasons why he did communion, Lord's Supper, um, and showed his disciples how to do this before he um, ascended, <coughs> before he died and ascended back to heaven, was because he knew there was something special about this. He knew that this was important, and, and, and he instituted it in such a way that we should do it often and regularly. This is why we do it every week. So every week we can remember and have this like spiritual moment together as a church to remember who Jesus is and what he has done. And remember all the benefits we get in the gospel. So Jesus sat down his disciples before he was to be crucified and said, this body, this bread represents my body that would be broken for you just in the matter of hours and he took a cup and said this cup represents my blood that, would, that is going to be shed for you covering past, present and future sins for those who believe and then he, once again he says like, do this often, he tells the disciples because it's important and it helps us remember so that's what we're going to do now as followers of Jesus, those of you who are followers of Jesus in this room in the space that we provide the time just reflect on some of the things we said reflect on Jesus, reflect on the word and, and maybe ask the question what What does this mean for you? This this allowing the word to dwell in you richly. What does that mean? How is that going to happen in your life? And then when you stand up to come forward to take communion. Come forward in confidence. Knowing that that Jesus has done all of the work already. This is what we're remembering. Jesus has done all the work. And together as a body, as believers who are united by one spirit. We're coming forward to take communion. There is something Spiritual going on when we do this. Something, that, that this is important. So let that rest on you before you come forward. Come forward with confidence. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I've been saved. Yes, I'm observing that my blood has been, your his blood has covered your sin. And you're a child of God now. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, my question for you is, what is dwelling inside of you? Like, what's inside you? What's controlling you? What's the thing you live for? What's the thing you can't live without? Is it, is it working? Is it providing all those answers? And what I know it's not providing is a relationship with the triune God. And believing the gospel, believing who Jesus, what Jesus did and what he did, who he was and what he did, believing those things brings us into relationship with Jesus. That's the the way to come into relationship with with God. And if you're not in relationship with God, you're not going to experience the freedom and joy that Jesus has to offer here in this life, and you're going to be separated from God in the next life as well. So I would pray that you would consider Jesus and God's offer of salvation and his mercy and grace this morning. And if there's something going on inside of you and, and you, you want to believe you're, you're, the, the Spirit's doing something, then please come forward or go to the back and maybe take communion for your first time. And please tell somebody what's happening inside of you. Just process with somebody if that's you. If you're here and that's not you and, and, and you need time to think and you're just not there yet, it's okay. Like This is the time I want you to come, safe place to, to come and think and reflect and to process. But I want, I'd love to have, spend some time with you. And just get your feedback on what was talked about today, because I think it's um, extremely important to think about these things. And I'd love to take you out for coffee or a meal and talk to you more about them. But if that describes you, then we just invite you to just stay where you're at, just stay seated, and just think and reflect uh, about what was said today. So uh, wherever you're at in this room, uh, whatever category you're in, just take some time, reflect, use this time to kind of still yourself, and then we have two stations in the back, two in the front. And if you're a guest with us, the way this works is we're gonna somebody will tear off a piece of bread and give it to you and you'll dip it in uh, the cup. That's kind of the way we do communion here. So take a few minutes and come forward ahead of the back whenever you're ready.